2: Did you just pay me a dollar
0: on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply.
1: Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs in schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They
3: was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment.
1: Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career
0: before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots. The podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
2: you get your podcasts.
1: Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Zarin. Elizabeth. Hey, Zarin. What's up? Uh, You know it's ridiculous. Yeah, those furry
3: shoes you're wearing. No, but uh, actually I do. Okay, you know the expression, uh, it's the best thing since sliced bread, mm-hmm. right? TV was invented one year before sliced bread. Hmm. The expression makes no sense. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's TV and then sliced bread. It's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> what are you people talking about? Like that, I thought it was like it was like in the twenties, maybe, and it was like, okay, it's better than radio. But no, how is sliced bread? Like you got to use TV still as the marker. If it's sliced bread is one year later, unless I... sli- slicing bread is just a nightmare.
2: Well, it is, and okay. as someone who doesn't watch TV but yeah. does eat sliced bread.
3: Yes, so you yeah. think it is actually more of a life-changing. I love
2: sliced bread. I love sliced sourdough bread.
3: I used to, my, we used to, I was, you know, raised really, a kind of hippie style, right, you know, so... I had all the, like, oh, we're going to bake bre- our own mm-hmm. bread, right? So I had a lot of, you know, s- Yeah, slice the loaf. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that this was a big deal. I did it as a child. I didn't even cut myself. Okay, What's the big deal? No, no, what I mean is, like, I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun to slice bread. Like, what is the hassle? Because you
2: get a more, you get even, like, sure, yeah, you consistent. Can, yeah. It doesn't tear.
3: Yeah, I get all that. I, I slice the bread. I it's know. It's great, but like you can get thicker slices if you want. You can make thinner slices if you want. Well, what it's if we're awesome. not talking
2: about mechanically sliced bread? What if we're talking about some bread that someone has sliced for you? Just that's the greatest. Bread? No, like, like when you you're slicing cheese? bread for yeah. for your family. that's oh, great!
3: And someone else has sliced the bread. You're what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so they they went and they took the knife to the loaf so for it's, me.
2: It's, so it's the greatest thing for, since having someone do something nice for
3: you. <laughs> way to spin that one <laughs> all the way around. And put a fuzzy Uh, tail on it.
2: That's ridiculous. Matches your
3: shoes. Yes. (laughs) That's
2: ridiculous. Uh, Do you want to know what else is ridiculous? Girl, I am her for it. Sending one of the greatest names of the 19th century into financial ruin. Mm. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. <laughs> you damn right. <laughs> I have some questions for you, Zarin. I've got one answer for you. First, yes. first, who would you say is the most beloved person in America right now? Uh, former
3: king of Norway, Harold Bluetooth.
2: Yes. Uh, no, second. I don't know who
3: is the most. The I Rock, I would say the Rock. Uh,
2: Dolly Parton. I don't love him. Dolly Parton. Dolly. Dolly Willie. Parton. Well, I'm going
3: by numbers, right? We're just talking pure numbers. Yeah. Like who, what person has the most people say? I really, I love him. Keanu now? Reeves. No, I don't. I think Keanu Reeves doesn't do well enough in the, the older generations and the very young generation. So it's I don't. Dolly. If it, people under ten, but people under ten know Dolly.
2: Yeah. Okay, know? so it's Dolly. Okay. So second, <laughs> who would you say is the most hated person in America right now?
3: Uh, the most hated person in America right now. Possibly Bill Belichick. No, that's a football <laughs> answer. I don't know. Who, who is the most yeah, I hated? Don't know. I just want to have a safe answer. I don't
2: know. I can't. I mean, yeah, there are no safe <laughs> I, answers.
3: I can't. Like, I don't want to speculate on who's the most hated. Be yeah. like, you're like, Zarin, really?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Why would you think that? <laughs> so anyway, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we could <laughs> we could list out the most hated and beloved throughout the life of this country, but sure. let's take it back to, like, say, 1884.
3: Oh, let's take yeah. it back.
2: One of the most beloved people in the union was none other than, at the time, former President Ulysses S. Grant.
3: Oh, in 1884? Yeah. Hell
2: yeah. Yeah, U.S. Grant. Yes. Do you know a lot about President Grant?
3: I know a fair bit. I really liked him.
2: Did you know that his birth name was Hiram Ulysses Grant?
3: Yeah, and, I, yes, and he had to, like, add the S because people didn't trust the person? No. Uh, no,
2: the, that, his, that, that's
3: not a true story. Is what yeah, his, yeah, his
2: the name, like, his name's Hiram Ulysses. They were drawn out of a hat by his family. Hiram was his grandpa's name, but everyone called him Ulysses. Um, And he was nominated by a congressman to be accepted into West Point in 1839. Um, And when the congressman submitted the recommendation, he accidentally referred to him as Ulysses S. Grant in a typo. That's where it stuck, yeah. Yeah, so people there called him Uncle Sam Grant. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which then morphed into Sam. So a lot of people call him Sam. The S doesn't stand for anything. He uh, he, however, did. He stood for something. Yes. Uh, he was a good one, right? Dude,
3: he was like when he was young, he was out at Humboldt. Like that was one of his stations, like, like Humboldt, California, yeah, up yeah. there in like the weed grown colony. Yeah, exactly. And then he like fought in the uh, the Texas Mexico War under under Lee. Like, mm-hmm. they, Lee didn't remember him, but he remembered Lee. Yeah,
2: exactly. But, as we know, he's most famous for taking down the insurrectionist South in the Civil War. But they did what? He served as <laughs> yes. POTUS, President of the uh-huh. United States. He created the Justice Department, a frequent guest on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he worked hard with other radical Republicans to protect the rights of black Americans during Reconstruction. Yes. He appointed both black and Jewish Americans to federal offices. He mm-hmm. worked to unify a fractured nation. Yep. So, granted, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> he lost the 1880 Republican nomination for president, yes. and he has his detractors. Um, there were some serious missteps in his yeah. leadership, to be sure. Um, some
3: uh, corruption he missed. <laughs> yeah,
2: history buffs don't come at me. Um, but people still loved him, mm-hmm. and he was a quiet man, thoughtful, generous. Um, and then he crossed paths with a man who would soon be known as the most hated man in, in the USA. Hmm. At that time. Enter Ferdinand de Wilton Ward Jr., called Ferd by his pals. I don't know
3: this person's name.
2: Can I call you Ferd? (laughs) Um, He was born in 1851 in New York. All right. And he was one of those criminals we talk about who started young. Yeah. So he began his grifting at this young age. By the time he was 15, he was running up tabs under his parents' names. Mm -hmm. He was spending all this money that he didn't have. He was borrowing money from one person to pay back another. Mm -hmm. He hated work. He was vain. He was greedy. His father was sort of the opposite. His father was a reverend, Reverend Ferdinand Ward Sr. Hmm. He had a big work ethic. He was a serious evangelical. Back in 37, 1937. evangelical. I was imagining yeah. a
3: Calvinist. Okay. No,
2: but back in 1937, before Ferd Jr. was born, Ford Sr. and his wife, they left Boston and headed to India to evangelize. Oh, wow. Um, now, I to have <laughs> I have my personal feelings and beliefs about yeah. evangelizing to other cultures and religious groups. Sure. I mean, personally, I think it's imperial and insensitive and shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. But there are those who think otherwise, obviously. So, yes. whatever. Um, so, the wars got over there, but it didn't go so well for them. Hmm. Um, for nine years, they tried to convert the Hindus and the Buddhists to Christianity without a whole lot of luck. Yeah. They fought with the other missionaries, like physically. I it's just, or just more like
3: rhetorically. I like think Eva? it might have
2: been why not both? Oh wow! But the dad, you find out that like he's kind of the You see where some of Ferd C- Junior gets it from first. C- yeah, I got you. So he he's they, a bit spirited. Yes. So the dad's always fighting with everybody. Sure. Okay. Um, they hated the weather, especially the monsoons.
3: Oh yeah. They
2: hated all the mosquitoes. They just weren't cut out for it, so they headed home. So in 1846, Ferd Sr., he went to preach to the flock at a small church in upstate New York, just outside of Rochester. Um, They'd been driven out of India in disgrace. (laughs) Too bad, so sad. Um, So Ferd Jr., he comes along in 1851. He's born to this disgraced preacher and this passive-aggressive, depressed mother. So Ferd's dad, like I said, he's constantly fighting with people, the parishioners, his (laughs) peers— He sounds like a real piece of work. His long suffering <laughs> wife depended on Ferd Junior for companionship and support and happiness. And happiness.
3: <laughs> like mo- maybe a so light moment or two. Ferd
2: tries to go straight, right? Sure. Like he's been doing all these scams, but he he gets and loses a bunch of clerical jobs. And Then in 1873 he finally got a gig as a clerk at the Produce Exchange, one of the New York City uh, commodity exchanges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so, Ferd established himself, and he married up. He hooked up with the daughter of uh, a wealthy family. She's this, this heiress. Okay. And he lucked out when his brother, who went to Columbia University, happened to be assigned a roommate by the name of Ulysses Buck Grant Jr. Oh, the boy. Yeah, son of President yeah. U.S. Grant. So, Ferd cozied up to Buck, and they mm-hmm. became good friends. Hmm. With the Grant family money, Ferd then starts speculating in commodities and actually does pretty well. So, thanks to these financial wins, because he's borrowed money from Buck, but he's making it back, sure in eighteen eighty, he and his partner James Fish were able to set up their own brokerage, Grant and Ward. So James Fish was president of the Marine National Bank. Mm-hmm. Remember that name Marine National, National Bank. Bank okay. Um, that the president's name was Fish is just a chef's kiss to the writers. Um, Fish also uh, was friends with Buck Grant. So these okay. three dudes, they all know each other. So Ferd cut Fish out of the name of the firm because he knew that the Grant name would attract big money. Oh, and
3: Grant Ward sounds really legit. It sounds solid. It's, yeah. uh, Short, Fish, gets right to Grant it. Ward
2: and Fish. Yeah, Fish
3: is a little yeah. suspect.
2: So Ferd later said, quote, Mr. Fish insisted that if the general came in with us, it would be the best thing in the world for us. While the general was not experienced and must pre-force be a silent partner, Mr. Fish agreed that the use of his name would be of inestimable value to us. I therefore agreed to the arrangement. Huh. So, so okay. they got his dad to come so in. So yeah, they they get. Well, they're just saying at this point just the Grant name. Sure. And so
3: oh, uh, they just mean so the son's name is the father's, is the father's name. Father's so they, name they actually don't need General Grant to go and stand well, at and, this point, okay.
2: And then and you he, know he's saying that it's Fish's idea that he didn't have his name on it. Okay. So he gets Baby Grant. He gets Buck on board, mm-hmm. and then they get U.S. Grant on board. Oh yeah, so he, he can't
3: help himself, dude. Like remember before we got to the military, he had like five businesses fail. Yeah, exactly. He, just, he was like, I, I want. How about this? How about that? He, he couldn't even make farming.
2: No financial literacy. And he wasn't given financial literacy training as a kid. And he's not it's not to say he's lazy. He was a worker. No, he's a worker. Anyway, he's just not good yeah. at it. So U.S. Grant and his son Buck, they each kick in a hundred thousand dollars. Oh wow. That's like three million today. That's, yeah, that's a big change. Yeah. So Ferd tells investors about all this inside information that he has about government contracts, that sort of stuff. Ferd has it. Because yeah. he has this direct line to the grant. Sure. The whole thing's a hoax. That's exactly. So did Fish know what's going on? Who's to say?
3: I'm guessing yes.
2: But either way, he swam right in. Get it, Fish. I like that.
3: Um, but the fact he didn't want his name on it suggests to me that well, he Well, no, was... he
2: was full in because he financed a loan to the company for $1.6 That's $46 million today. Okay. Shazam. So Fish is in. Things huh. are going swimmingly. I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so annual <laughs> dividends to investors were at 40%. What? Yeah, 40%. That's suspicious right there. Yeah, for those not in the know, that's obscenely high. No actual financial investment has those kind of terms. No, returns.
3: and if it does, it's not an investment. It's not, It's right. a scam exactly. or, or crime.
2: So, Ferd's the boss. Yeah. He makes all the decisions. He basically ran this partnership, and he manages to convince Grant Jr., Buck, and his father to kick in another $200,000 to the company. What? Mm-hmm. Later on down the line... Ferd wrote this piece called General Grant As I Knew Him that ran in the New York Herald uh, magazine section. Okay, It's been described as, quote, self-serving. <laughs> and it's a retelling of his relationship with Ulysses S. Grant. It's one of the first examples of paid-for sponsored content. Yeah, well, in it, he recalls this time of getting more dough from the Grants. Quote, he, former President Grant, was presented with a fund of $250,000 by a number of his friends. It was a trust fund, the principal of which could not be touched. The interest amounted to $12,500 a year. He enjoyed this income until the time of his death, and I presume it was part of the estate he left. As he had no other financial resources when he became a member of the firm of Grant and Ward, to which he contributed $100,000, and from which he drew during his four years connection with the firm upward of $200,000, it may seem that I had not, whatever may have been the results, contributed to the slightest degree of any financial embarrassment of the general. Hmm. So he's kind of he's lying. Yes, what clearly he's, doing. lying but he's He also doesn't mention the fact that Grant didn't get a U.S. military pension mm-hmm. because southern uh, the southern states fought against it. Really? Yeah. That in order like for him to go forward, he didn't have the pension that other he didn't get his military pension. How could I don't know. Why? <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, the okay. truth of the matter is there were no investments. So there were no legitimate payouts. The money given to Grant was actually money from other dupes who'd fallen for Ford's preferred scheme. So Grant left office in early 1877, and to celebrate, he and his wife took off on a world tour presumably not with Muhammad, my man. <laughs> uh, so vacations that take you all over the globe, mm-hmm. those are expensive. Oh, it can be. Yeah. If you're paying for them. It's more expensive than someone who is on a $12,500 pension. Fixed income, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that's like making $366,000 uh, yes. a year today. Yeah. Here in the Bay Area, that kind of salary might be able to get you a modest three-bedroom home in an okay area.
3: Maybe, maybe. But if you're traveling to, to around the world today, that's going to go a long way. Right. So it's still so. it's a hell
2: of a lot of money. Um, this is before Ferd started his scheme, though. Oh. And so, but a- so after the lavish trip, Grant spent more money trying to run for president again. That failed.
3: Yeah. That was- um.
2: So he's depressed. The shine was off the penny. Additionally The bottle
3: was looking good. <laughs> exactly.
2: While he may have been a brilliant military tactician, his financial literacy skills, as we said, limited. Yeah. Um, so he'd already had a bunch of financial troubles even before the Civil War, as mm-hmm. you were saying. When Ferd came around, he wooed the former president with pipe dreams of crazy returns on his investments. Grant wanted financial security for him and for his family. So he looked beyond— That's why he went
3: back to the military.
2: Well, he he looks beyond all the hinkiness and joins up with Grant Ward. Yeah. So um, former President Grant— He,
3: he had a no, habit of doing that, looking past the hinkiness. <laughs> exactly.
2: He got along great with Ferd. I bet. Ferd, it so happened— was seen at the time as being such a money wizard that he had the nickname the Napoleon of Finance. Oh, God. I'm not sure that's a ringing endorsement.
3: Especially at that point. I mean, everyone knows how the Napoleon story uh, goes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey. But they're like,
2: oh, he has this brilliant mind. Yeah. And
3: 1803 maybe called me the Napoleon <laughs> of Finance. <laughs> exactly. but.
2: Um, so there we are, the Wolf Cub of Wall Street and Uncle Sam Grant chumming it up, making money, Um, Since I'm talking about them, though, Mm -hmm. we know it all goes south. Yes, we do. Let's take a break. When Ah. we come back, we'll see how bad it got. Can I rant for a sec? Please.
3: Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime. It also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 Professional Monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
2: Welcome. Hey. Hey, Ferdinand Ward. Yo, Ferd. Ferd. Uh, he was making serious cash. Mm-hmm. So the same year that he opened that phony brokerage, he bought this luxe brownstone at 178 Columbia Heights in Brooklyn. So he paid $40,000 for it, and that's the equivalent of $1.2 today. Okay. It's a good investment since, according to Zillow, the place is worth five point four million today. Oh, it was built in eighteen forty-five. It's currently broken into two units. Mm-hmm. Street view, thanks for asking, shows <laughs> a lovely brick facade on a charming tree-lined street. It's Brooklyn Heights, just a block or two off the East River. Ah, so he had this. Jay Z told me to buy
3: in Dumbo, so I, know. I only know Dumbo. <laughs>
2: um, so he had this posh place, and he kept it really well staffed. So it's you know co- it's costing a lot of money to keep this sure. place up and running. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle described his setup as, quote, "...one of the most elaborately and expensively furnished houses in Brooklyn. The parlors resemble the private room of a Turkish prince, with its costly divans, rugs, and bearskins scattered as if carelessly around. Every inch of wall is covered with some work of art." 27 paintings, large and small, being in the front room, and almost as many in the back room, while bric-a-brac and articles of virtue are in every position about the room.
3: I love the word bric-a-brac.
2: Bric-a-brac's such a good word.
3: That's so, a good description. I could totally picture
2: it. He didn't, he didn't just use everyone else's money to buy that place. He also bought a 25-acre estate in Connecticut. Hmm. It's living large. Um, what did his family, the erstwhile missionaries, think of all this?
3: Yeah, they were a little critical.
2: Yeah. His dad wrote a letter to one of his other kids saying, quote, it is hard to trust his word or confide in him as to anything. <laughs> this we know too well. There is no use denying it. I have no son. Yeah. So, <laughs> Ferd, Ferd doesn't care. Yeah, He's living not. Ferd's best life. Um, and it's, He's like, I did this to
3: get away from you people. <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, It seemed like once his dad got a taste of Ferd's best life, though, Mm -hmm. he stopped looking down on his son.
3: Oh. Because
2: Ferd had his dad's church repainted. Uh And then he, like, showered him with gifts and, you know, just gave him all this stuff.
3: Everybody has their price.
2: His dad starts thinking, like, maybe my bad seed isn't so bad. His
3: price is pretty low. His
2: price is pretty low. (laughs) low. A painted church. So (laughs) Ferd's best life, pretty amazing. All built on a pack of lies. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this uh, writer who wrote a biography of Grant Jean Edward Smith. Quote, it was a fool's paradise. Ward was kiting the firm's assets, pledging the same securities against collateral, against multiple loans, and using the proceeds to pay the dividends investors expected.
3: Ponzi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So
2: he was making actual investments at some point, and he padded those with new investor money. So he has proof of these investments, but, you know, um, sometimes, though, those actual investments flopped. And when that happened, he just cooked the books to turn red to black. Oh, okay. Yeah. So financiers, though, they start getting suspicious. I
3: thought you were going to say sometimes they actually hit and it covered Sometimes his they hit
2: and sometimes oh, they really? really wiped him. Oh, yeah. okay. So the financiers, though, mm-hmm. they don't believe this. The balance sheets, just too good to be true. Of course. Did Grant care about this?
3: Grant does not look at balance sheets. Not a lick. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: he knew that money came and went in the yeah. investment game, but he had full faith in Ferd. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's I like, believe, he's the Napoleon, hello. Exactly. Military tactician, a military If there was tactician. a problem, my
3: petty officer would tell me about it. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have a petty officer anymore. <laughs> like, well, whatever.
2: So let's check in with Marine National Bank, mm-hmm. President Fish. That's
3: right, Marine National Bank.
2: Yeah. The bank was a big investor in Grant and Ward, and the bank had loaned them $1.6 In 1884, Ooh. the comptroller of New York City decided to reduce the city's deposits with Marine National Bank. This totally messed up the finances at Grant Ward since their phony money was inextricably tied to the bank.
3: Ah, kited money on kited
2: money. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Grant, who does he go to? The Vanderbilts. Oh, wow. Help me, please, 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 somebody help. They loaned the bank $150,000. Now, mm-hmm. some sa- just sources. just covered deposits, basically. Yeah, some sources said $80,000, but you know what? Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, it was a good chunk of money. That's all we need to know. And the loan was underwritten by U.S. Grant. Huh. Mm hmm. So Grant deposited the funds a little too late. Uh, The bank collapsed, which kicked off a financial panic. Oh, yeah. And in that panic, Ferd gets exposed as a con. Oh. So on May sixth, eighteen eighty four, Grant Junior, Buck, he pops into the uh, office of Grant Ward because his dad, U.S. Grant, had this really nice office at oh at Grant at Ward, Grant Ward, a cor- like a corner office. Yeah, so Buck comes in and a he big, says a round
3: globe and like <laughs> a said, big window. The globe
2: you open up that it's a bar. <laughs> <so.">
3: <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> um, so he,
2: Buck goes in and he says, "Quote, Father, you'd better come home. The firm has failed." Oh. So he's just like. Oh,
3: not the telegraph you want to receive.
2: No. So later, Grant would find out that the checks that he gave to Ferd to deposit for him ended up going into Ferd's bank account. Ooh. Yeah. And then Grant, he still had to pay back the Vanderbilts. Of course. So he sold war memorabilia, still couldn't raise the money. Oh, my God. The Vanderbilts, though, were like, it's fine. We'll just. Let That's it what go. I was
3: hoping. I was yeah. like, come on, write it <laughs> off, people. What <laughs> do you need? It
2: so Marine National Bank creditors, they only got half of the $5.2 million that the bank owed when it went bankrupt. What about the Grant and Ward investors? They had $14.5 million in invested funds. Uh Zilch. There wasn't Uh even a drop in there to split up. There was nothing. Grant was one of those investors. He'd given them everything he had. So according to Jeffrey Ward, great-grandson of Ferd Ward, quote, When Grant left home that morning, he had believed himself a millionaire. When he got home in the evening, he had $80 in his pocket. His wife had another $130. There was nothing else. Are you kidding wiped me? Wiped out. General <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant, president, wiped out. Save the
3: union for all these greed house. Uh-huh.
2: So, Ferd, he's indicted on grand larceny charges. The Trial goes for a year. Uh, he was locked up in a local jail throughout the entire trial. I hope so. He testified to the New York Supreme Court, quote, had to rob Peter to pay Paul.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, Peter you think? You robbed uh, Peter and Paul. <laughs> I know. And you paid Ferd. <laughs>
2: So the lawyer of one of his defrauded investors said that Ward, quote, had the power of fixing his eyes on a man and willing the dollars out of his pocket. We hear this a lot. Don't we? Like the snake like charmer magnetic, kind of. Totally. charismatic. Yeah. People just want
3: to believe. And like, yeah. let oh, give you money. And I that wish way I had that quality. I could be rich too. Really?
2: <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> just I wouldn't use it for bad. I'd use it for good. Oh, you'd
3: make people like donate to charities? Or just like... be nice to me. <laughs> Fair enough.
2: So, uh, that's all I want. Um, so we've discussed, as we said, a few of these types. He He's later convicted. Okay. Uh, he said beyond that, quote, at the time of my trial and conviction, I was perhaps the best hated man in the United States. Oh, I bet
3: you were, uh-huh. son.
2: So, Ferd, he gets sentenced to 10 years of hard labor in Sing Sing. Okay. Uh, he weaseled his way in, uh, as uh, writer Brenda Wineapple put it, quote, The easiest work detail, the best sell, the best tobacco, expensive sheet music, and as much money useful for bribing prison officials as he could squeeze out of family and friends. Wow. So he's Still the operator. Still. Well, he can look at people. He has that quality. Um, While he's locked up, his mom told him to um, imagine her riding in the country in the carriage he'd bought for her and to think of, quote, all the comfort and happiness that those whom you love are enjoying, even though you cannot partake in the same.
3: Just think of your mom laughing her happy ass off, bouncing down the road. (laughs) While
2: you're locked up in Sing Sing, imagine me living my best life. I'm
3: doing great, my boy. So just (laughs) focus on that. Look at the bricks and go, mom's (laughs) bouncing down the road, happy as a clam.
2: it's horrible. Like yeah. what a horrible family.
3: <laughs> so I, although I it does sound familiar. Like, doesn't it? I'm like, that sounds yeah, like my yeah. family. Not my mother per se, <laughs> but family.
2: <laughs> so Ferd, um, where was he getting this money while he's in jail? Well, he had been convincing Ella, his heiress wife. Oh right. I forgot about the heiress wife. Sell her jewelry, oh, my send God. him money. And she did her but, family
3: d- couldn't they didn't know about well, this but like, newspaper
2: hits. pretty soon she wises up okay. and she cuts him off cuz she at the time was living with her brother you know they don't have yeah, the mansions anymore um she's living with her brother FA Green in Thompson Connecticut okay um and he actually had a job as a bookkeeper at Granton Ward but hmm. he you know he loses that she's not good at that job no so she she draws up this new will that leaves everything that they had to their toddler son Clarence okay and her brother was the executive of the of Smart. the will. So anyway, Ferd, he did less than three years because he was a good boy. And
3: financial crimes. And they usually don't get yeah. a lot of time. And soon
2: he was out causing trouble once again. Once again. So a couple years after his release, um, his wife Ella died. And Ferd sprung into action. He was <laughs> desperate for the inheritance. Give me the boy. <laughs> $80,000 or about 1. $1.5 million today. Yeah. So Clarence, he remained at his uncle's house. The problem was that Ella's will didn't name her brother as Clarence's guardian I
3: was was just about to say because his father can act as basically regent to the young king Yeah, and Ferd
2: like, is still the you know legal custodian yep. so now Ferd... he's he his wanted, father
3: right so it's exactly nobody can Potter
2: familias yeah. so Ferd wanted to go and get his boy. But he couldn't step foot in Thompson, Connecticut, because he had warrants in Connecticut. <laughs> so Ferd's out of jail and also out of the picture. Who knows what he's doing at this time? Okay. So when Ferd failed in his initial attempts to seize the inheritance from afar, he cooked up another plan. Hmm. It was 1894, and he would just remarried in Utica, New York. What the hell? I guess he needed money, so he decided to take another crack at the boys' cash. Okay. Zarin. Yes. Close your eyes. Oh, yes. I want you to picture it. You are Clarence Green, Clarence Ward's cousin. You and your sister Helen see the other Clarence as a sibling, your thickest thieves. It's 8.30 in the morning on September 14th, 1894, and the three of you are headed off to school. As you stroll down the street, covered in changing leaves, skipping and laughing, a carriage containing two men rolls up. It's a top carriage, the kind of buggy that looks like, come the automotive age, its progeny down the line will be like a bitchin' roadster. Uh, big back wheels, smaller front wheels. You said pigeon. Canopy top. I did say and it worked. Uh, the works. This one, though, is horse-drawn. The beautiful sorrel horse whinnies as you look over at it. <laughs> one of the men shouts out to you. Are you Clarence Ward? Wrong Clarence, pal. Before you can answer, your cousin responds to him. No, sir, I'm Clarence Ward. The two of you grin up at the man. So pure, you two. The man leans towards your cousin. Come, get in the carriage. I have a note for you from your father. You and Cousin Clarence look at each other. Your sister, Helen, gasps. No one mentions Clarence's good-for-nothing jailbird father. (laughs) No one in the family wants anything to do with that creep. There's a beat as you and your cousin lock eyes. You know what he's going to do. He books it. He broke into a sprint, and he hauls tail down the street. Helen yells, run, run your little legs. But a 10-year-old, even a frightened one, couldn't outrun these men. One jumped out of the carriage and took off after Cousin Clarence catching up to him and scooping him up with ease. Cousin Clarence screams. It's mournful and ear-piercing. You watch as the man tosses him into the carriage and they take off, reins whipping the draft horse. Not on my watch, you think. The woman who lives in the house you're standing in front of, Mrs. Chandler, comes out and asks what the fuss is about. You tell her two men abducted your cousin Clarence. She stares down the road as the carriage fades into the distance, looks at you, and says, ''Let's go.'' The two of you sprint down the road to Mr. Backus' store. There's a phone there. Your feet slap on the pavement, and then you burst into the general store. ''The ward boy has been kidnapped!'' Mrs. Chandler yells to Mr. Bacchus. He takes the phone from the cradle. ''Which way did they go?'' He asks you and Mrs. Chandler. You both look up at him in unison. ''The Putnam Road!'' Mr. Bacchus asks to be put through to the Putnam police. He gives them the details, turning to ask you and Mrs. Chandler about the carriage, what the men were wearing, the color of the horse, sorrel. You are still catching your breath. The three of you are terrified that the men are intending to jump on a train at Putnam and head out to parts unknown. You and Mrs. Chandler are now huddled next to Mr. Bacchus, listening to the crackles on the rudimentary phone line. You hear an operator click into the call. Someone else has seen the carriage go by with a screaming ward boy in it. They phoned in the coordinates, and it turns out the kidnappers had left the Putnam Road and are turned onto a country lane headed north through Grovesnerdale towards Webster, Massachusetts, which is eight miles from Thompson. (laughs) Mr. Bacchus hangs up and has an operator ring him through to Grovesnerdale PV. He gives them a bolo on the carriage. Just as Bacchus hangs up again, your dad bursts into the store. He'd heard what happened and where you'd gone. When he's brought up to speed, he picks up the phone and asks to be connected to the sheriff. As he breathlessly asks the lawman to draw up habeas corpus papers and send them immediately to Webster, Massachusetts, you take a deep breath and stare at the floor. Mrs. Chandler gently strokes your hair and tells you that you did an amazing job and you've been very brave. Your dad hangs up the phone and the two of you dart off for home. When you get there, your grandparents are waiting for you, and your dad hops into his own carriage and takes off at top speed. He's going to get his nephew, his boy, back. Clarence Ward's uncle, Mr. Green, knew that if the guys were headed to Webster, they'd wasted time going through Putnam. He took a shortcut to Webster in an effort to cut him off at the pass. Nice. Uh, about four miles out from Webster, he saw them up ahead. Let's take a break. Oh. When we get back, we'll resume this chase. Yeah, get him, Dad.
3: How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, Zaren, we're back. Hey, you guys. Mid Chase. <laughs> so... The Hartford Current of mm-hmm. September 14th, 1894, told the tale of Clarence Ward's kidnapping in a bang up way. Oh, nice. It's amazing. So please indulge me. Oh, of course. And let me read you this section of the article. Lay it on me, sister. Mr. Green, with renewed hope, pushed on, and when four miles from Webster, he came in sight of the kidnappers. Their horse was on the keen run, and they were putting on the whip at every jump. The next four miles, the pace was fast and furious, and it was a great race. Two miles from Webster, with little advantage on either side, a Thompson-bound team was seen approaching. The driver turned out to be Constable Love of Webster. He allowed the first team to pass, supposing they were driving for the doctor. One of the men had his hand over the mouth of the boy in the wagon, and Mr. Love drew from this the conclusion that there had been an accident. But when Mr. Green neared him, he soon saw that, quote, something was up. In the first place, Mr. Green was upstanding up on the wagon, frantically waving his hands, and as he passed and recognized Constable Love, he shouted to him to turn about and join the pursuit. I'll pay you big money to catch them, floated back to the constable's ears, and in a twinkling, he too had joined the chase. (laughs) The kidnappers, with their lead cut down somewhat, finally drove into the Joslin House stables in Webster. The man who had nabbed the boy jumped out with him in his arms, passed through the barroom and upstairs. He flipped the bartender a five dollar note and told him to keep mum. Wow, it's incredible! So, I Clarence love that is, guy
3: tried to like race into the livery stable, jump out, and then like go inside the saloon or whatever, I'm like take that Paul Revere. Now that's a ride. <laughs> I'm just playing. So, I don't know.
2: So, Clarence's uncle. And the constable, they caught up with the kidnappers, of course. They busted into the saloon and asked if anyone had seen a boy. The bartender, like, shakes his head no. Mm -hmm. But a patron speaks up and said that the man had run upstairs with him. Oh, nice. So he's like— Didn't didn't... pay off enough people. Exactly. So Green and Constable Love, they run into the room where young Clarence was being held. Clarence made a move to run to his uncle, but the kidnappers held him back. What? And so Mr. Green yells at the men, asking them what right they had with the boy— um, And they said, well, his dad's on his way. So oh. the dad had organized this whole thing. Green says, I demand you give me the child. And one of the kidnappers says, by what authority? Then Constable Love <laughs> steps forward and says... By this authority and flashes his badge.
3: <laughs> Yee-haw! He'd waited all of his life to have that
2: moment. It's a true story. Actually, I have a similar tale for you, really quickly. Please. I lived in the rural South for a time. Uh-huh. Town of about thirteen hundred. Okay. Uh, we had a police chief who was a wonderful character, like a big bald mountain of a man. Oh, I love it. Um, and so on the main drag there was a pharmacy, and a few doors down was this little cafe. Okay. And every morning the police chief would eat breakfast there, and his police truck would be parked outside. Mm-hmm. So one morning, a woman came running into the cafe. She told the chief that someone was robbing the pharmacy. Oh, wow. And so the chief slowly rose from his chair, setting his napkin on the table. And then uh, he went out to his truck, retrieved a shotgun, and then he calmly made his way into the pharmacy now, this pharmacy had a counter on the on the, the back, back wall. Yeah, yeah, the place was big. Mm-hmm. It has since burned down, but that's another story. Okay. <laughs> so the chief sees this tweaker at the counter, like uh-huh. yelling at the pharmacist to hurry up and put money and pills in a bag. Okay. So the chief quietly walks up behind the guy, racks his shotgun, and says I'll do the talking now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so dope. I'm sorry. I love those. It moments. was amazing, and I was like confirmed from multiple sources. Yeah. So I know it's not uh, made up. Anyway, uh, it remains one of the most badass moves I've I've heard of yeah, to this that's, day. That's golden. So where was I? Clarence Ward. Yes. Um, he's safe, mm-hmm. but where's Ferd? So it turns out the kidnappers had taken longer than he thought they would. So he got tired of waiting and he went down the street for a shave. What? Yeah. And so he's in a barber's chair down the street at this at this time, so Mister Green is able to take Clarence back to Connecticut despite the custodial statuses being murky. Okay. Right. Um, Fer didn't want to go back to Connecticut because of the, warrants. Because the warrant. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was the end of his attempts to get the kid back. Are
3: you kidding me?
2: No, I'm not. Has kidding he ever me. heard of nighttime? <laughs> so, what about? General slash President Grant.
3: Dude, all I know is he's going to write a book, and I know that's to save his finances. I had no idea Uh this was why.
2: Well, Grant once said of Ferd that if he could, he would kill him, quote, as I would a snake, I believe I should do it too, but I do not wish to be hanged for the killing of such a wretch. See? Yeah.
3: See, Grant gets it. But Sometimes so, you just have to but put here's a, the thing. a snake the snake down.
2: Fern, he tells a different story. Oh wow. Quote There was one glittering exception to the throng which held me in contempt because of the trouble they believed I had caused them. That man was Ulysses S. Grant. Our friendship never changed through all the period of stress and trouble, but remained until the time of his death. It is perhaps just as well I waited 25 years before putting on paper the record of my association with General Grant. The bitterness against those who misjudged some phases of that association has been dissipated. I am now able to review the history of those four years with what I believe is a calm and dispassionate spirit.
3: The audacity. Right?
2: So he's like, well, he's been dead 25 years, so let me tell you the real story. He didn't hate me. He didn't want to kill me.
3: I love the idea that he's like, oh, he's dead. So yeah. I'm gonna go straight in the record.
2: <laughs> now you wow, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Oh my that's god, that's from the piece that they said was self-serving. This oh like, yeah, no, General I, Grant, I, I, as I know exactly him. which
3: that one was coming from. <laughs> Dude, I can't like if I was Buck Grant, the son.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, once
3: again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scheduling a lot of nighttime visits. But <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, well, so as you mentioned, Grant writes the book. Yeah, people always wanted him to write his memoir. Like, it
3: was one of the greatest people. Well, who... and he
2: always turned him down. Yes, for he the longest do it. time. You know, but times are tough. Even when he when needs Sherman was
3: like his buddy. He's like, dude, write it.
2: Well, so he asked a friend to help him write it. Okay. Who was this friend? Who was the friend? Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain. Uh, So Twain, longtime admirer of Grant. Yes. um, They'd met before Twain was Twain. Mm -hmm. So Samuel Clemens wrote to his wife about their first encounter. Quote, I shook hands and then there was a pause and silence. I couldn't think of anything to say. So I merely looked at the general's grim, immovable countenance a moment or two in silence. And then I said... Mr. President, I am embarrassed. Are you? <laughs> so they met again in 1879 at a dinner in Chicago honoring Grant. Mm-hmm. And so this all these speakers are coming up, and they're just heaping all this praise on Grant, sure. just, you know, fawning. But Twain's the final speaker, and he roasts Grant. <laughs> and everyone is shocked, but Grant Loves is it. cracking yeah, up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so he also remembered Twain from the first time they met. He went up to Twain after the event and said, Mr. Clemens... I am not embarrassed. Are you? (laughs) Nice. So with that, this lifelong friendship is born. I love it. Grant starts writing uh, a series of articles for Century Magazine. Yes, a
3: great magazine. Look that one up online. A lot of stuff about Nikola Tesla, Twain, all these great figures in the late 19th century. And
2: so Grant is explaining all—he's just giving all the story about his Civil War battles. Mm -hmm. And they asked him to write more. Write us a whole book. And around this time, he's getting ready to say no, but he had just learned that he had throat cancer. Oh. And so he didn't want to leave his wife penniless, so he did what he didn't want to do, and he agreed to write the memoir. He revisited the war. But with Twain's help. Yeah. Um, and so Century offered Grant the standard 10% royalty on expected sales. Twain finds out about this offer, and he is pissed. He's like, <laughs> this is insane. So he had also had money troubles thanks to bad business dealings yes. with family. Also not good at business. Right. So he and his nephew had started this publishing company, the Charles L. Webster and mm-hmm. Company, um, and it was really struggling. Yeah. And so he's thinking, like, I'm about to hit ruin, you know. So he sees an opportunity for both himself and for Grant. Mm-hmm. He offered Grant 70% of any royalties, an upfront advance, mm-hmm. and living expenses. Just fully covers it. So Grant took the offer even though it was a bit of a gamble. Totally. Totally. So Grant, he's in pain. He is uh-huh. can't sleep. Dying of cancer, can't yeah. sleep. He can't really eat or drink Have much. Having think about the
3: worst moments of his life.
2: Still writes pages every day and Twain edits them. The papers uh, were all printing these, like, breathless stories about Grant's impending death, mm-hmm. which must feel like garbage if you're in that position, oh, completely. you know? Um, and so when he physically, like, couldn't physically write anymore, he dictated the memoirs to his assistant. Yeah. And then when he couldn't talk anymore, Grant and Twain just, like, passed each other notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Twain went cr- on a crazy promotional campaign. So both of these guys needed this win in order to stay out of the porthouse. Twain wrote a 37-page sales pitch for the memoirs that weren't even finished yet. Um, His hard sell works. Over 100,000 copies were pre-sold before publication. Uh, Prior to his death, Grant told his doctor, quote, "...the fact is, I think I am a verb instead of a personal pronoun. A verb is anything that signifies to be, to do, or to suffer. I signify all three." Wow. Heavy. Damn. So in July of 1885, Grant finished his 336,000-word memoir, A
3: True Tome.
2: Huge personal memoirs of US Grant. He died one week later at yep. the age of 63. The memoir, as you said, is still considered to be one of the best military autobiographies mm-hmm. ever to be written. Mm-hmm. It's still in print today. Grant's wife, it wasn't Julia— a, It's the
3: biggest book that year for a few years. It's like a monster it's, hit. Huge,
2: it's, huge hit. Well, It
3: saved Twain for certain, his publishing house.
2: Exactly. Well, and Mrs. Mrs. Grant, Julia, mm-hmm. she made $450,000. That's like $11 million today yeah. on the book, making her at the time one of the richest women in America. Wow. So that is a lovely parting gift from one spouse to another. Totally. I, when Grant died on July twenty third, 1885, one week after finishing the manuscript, uh, the public blamed Furd; they yeah. all, they all just went to him. Grant's funeral was attended by 1.5 million people wow. in New York, including Furd Ward. Unbelievable! He was in jail at the time, but he <laughs> persuaded the sheriff to give him a few hours of freedom to go send off the man he nearly destroyed.
3: And the the, the sheriff doesn't understand justice. That whole point is <laughs> saying, no, you don't <laughs> no, get, you to, don't do get to do that.
2: Exactly. Well, and what <sighs> of Ward's legacy? Right. So. Here's what happens with the Ward family. Little Clarence grew up. Uh-huh. He got a B.A., an M.A., and a Ph.D. all from Princeton. Nice. Good on him. Yeah. He went on to be a renowned architectural historian, architect, and museum director at Oberlin College. Oh, cool. And he had a son, Frederick Ward. And he was a noted educator and former Ford Foundation executive who helped devise the process by which winners of the MacArthur Foundation's Genius Awards are selected each year without their knowing that they'd been nominated. Oh, yeah. He came up with that whole thing. And then he had a son, Jeffrey C. Ward. He's an author, editor, historian, and a scriptwriter for PBS history documentaries. Mm, What's crazy is that he spent some of his boyhood years in India. Full circle. (laughs) So Jeffrey, who is Ferd's great-grandson, he wrote a bunch of books. um, A First Class Temperaments," The Emergence of Franklin Roosevelt. Hmm. Um, Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson. Wow. And another of his titles is, a mouthful, A Disposition to be Rich, How a Small-Town Pastor's Son Ruined an American President Brought on a Wall Street Crash and Made Himself the Best-Hated Man in the United States.
3: (laughs) That's a hell of a title.
2: So in the book, he quotes George Bernard Shaw. If you cannot get rid of the family skeleton, you might as well make it dance.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then charge people to come see the show.
2: Exactly. So uh, what's your ridiculous takeaways, Aaron? Thanks for asking.
3: Oh, my God. How are you going to, like, put the screws to U.S. Grant? Out of all the presidents of, like, because Lincoln's dead. But other than Lincoln, I cannot think of a president at that period of time who you can, like, even the Vanderbilt's like, oh, I'm glad they wrote off the loan. But I mean— this guy, like,
2: I'm mm-hmm. surprised
3: that somebody, somebody close to him, you know, like maybe like one of Sherman's boys would come over and be like, "What happened?" <laughs> get all heated, tore right. up, and go over and visit him. Right. My, my version of justice, but <laughs> my point is, is that I can't believe this guy escaped all that. And at the end, the sheriff's like, "Yeah, hey, let me let you out. we me go get the turnkey. We'll get you so mm-hmm. you can go down and
2: see the guy you ruined." And then he goes on to write this big piece in the How? paper. About and then the him.
3: editors allow this because they don't what? No history. I mean, like this. Oh my God, I'm losing it. I'm so. What's your ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth?
2: Thanks for asking. Uh, I see how I did that. One of the things that I think is interesting is that I hadn't heard of him before. No, but no. I and I feel like maybe that's good that he gets wiped from totally. history for being such a dirtbag.
3: Definitely. Why did you tell the story then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm trying to keep it alive. Uh, the other thing, thanks for asking, <laughs> is that I am fascinated by these people who have just this crazy energy to you know get what they want mm-hmm. and make people completely override any sense of, of logic.
3: I've, I've had uh, two friends that I can say are very much like that. It's fun to watch. Is it? This- I won't even lie. You're just like, How are they? Oh my god, they did it again. Don't- are they gonna fall for it? This person I respect, oh, they fell for it too. Everyone falls for it. This is amazing. <laughs> so I just know that no matter who you think you are, you would fall for one of these people oh, because yeah. they don't show up the way you think. It's like how the like the devil has the best tunes. Yeah. They make you want it. And then of course you always go for things you want. Right. And people forget right. that. So it's not that you're like someone has- I'm gonna convince you, I'm gonna trick you. No, they don't come at you that way. They come at you like, oh man, you, you should have known about this thing. Oh man, it's- cool is you're like what i do want to know They, they create the want and then they go oh here's how to get it
2: right right anyway
3: it's amazing to watch though
2: I, I'm sure.
3: I hated when they did it to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. One time like, I got this one friend, he did exactly that. He was so proud of himself. Afterwards, he wanted to, to let me know what he had done. So he broke it down. He's like, I did this and I did that. <gasps> and then and then I knew that you would go for this. And then I put this in this order and I said this. And then I knew that you would commit. And then once you committed, our other friend would commit because he'd be excited of your excitement. And I get you both. I didn't even have to work on him. And I was like. Wow. I, just, I realized how deep. And he was doing this. This wasn't difficult for me. This is innate. It yeah. was just like, oh, I want to walk around. Across the room, I uh-huh. take my left foot and I move it this way. I take my right foot and I move it that way. Right. That was just his
2: way of moving through the world. Interesting. Yeah.
3: So just know that you have no ability to understand how these people are because they're operating on a level none of us are operating. Yeah, on, that's very true. On the the charm part.
2: That's a good takeaway. There you go. Uh, that's it for today. You can find us online at ridiculouscrime.com. Uh, we're also at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Email RidiculousCrime.com. Oh, no. Email. Yeah, just email RidiculousCrime.com. <laughs> uh, leave us a talkback on the iHeart app. Reach out, baby. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave. They took the boy upstairs and didn't pay me anything to keep quiet, coosting. <laughs> Research is by battlefield genius Marissa Brown and small-town barber Andrea Song-Sharpentier. The theme song is by Thomas Lee and Travis Dutton, the men who kidnapped Clarence Ward. Post-Wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are noted Mark Twain impersonators Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous crime.
1: Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires
1: confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000 mile powertrain and five-year, 60,000 mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in treatment is back and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us, they beat us